This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. And we're coming to you probably slightly later than is expected. And that's because we've taken a slightly laid back attitude to these playoffs. Not because we believe that we're going to win them. It's the exact opposite, actually. But we just thought, actually, tell you something. Let's, let's just go into these playoffs like it's almost like any other day. Because if you've noticed back in the day with Brentford, like, you know, We've been so happy to be there. You know, we've been, you know, every time we go to Wembley, you know, we've double-decker buses and inflatables and ponchos and, you know, every time it's a big occasion, which is fine. Listen, this is great because that's what football sporting is all about. And every time we kind of come a little bit unstuck and we have the big hoo-ha, the big finales, the big trumpets and everything like that, and it just doesn't quite happen. So with these playoffs this time, we just thought, actually, let's go in here a little bit understated. I know a lot of people have been expecting us to record a podcast, you know, back of the week and have 25, 30, 40 guests, you know, calling people from Australia, India, sort of Pakistan, like, you know, China. But we decided against it this time. I've just got myself and my chum Laney in the house and we're going to be talking about what's going to be happening this week. And after that, we'll see how it goes. Maybe we might just ramp it up a bit. Laney, how are you doing? Yeah, all right. I'm a bit disappointed. Did, you didn't tell me about no Mexican hats and trumpets. I've got one out and bought 200 yesterday. <laughs> what, am I, what am I supposed to do with them now? Well, that's the thing, cheers, actually. Cheers, yeah. mate. Yeah, oh, cheers. That's the thing, mate. You know, that is the reason why, because, you know, the activity of people like you, which is, you know, which is great because you're supporting your club, but, you know, not saying I'm superstitious or anything like that, but you're sort of thinking, you know, maybe we might have kind of gone in and jinxed it. You know, it's the old Middlesbrough booking your hotel at Wembley when you haven't even played the semi-final yet trick, like, you know what I'm saying? So I thought, no. None of this, none of this going out with the razzmatazz and that. Let's just just get low down and dirty and let's just talk about this game, which is a very important game. It's going to be a very tough game against the Bournemouth or the Muff, as we call them. So, Lady, I mean, the Muff, they're coming, but you weren't very happy about us getting the Muff, were you? Not really. I mean, obviously, I am happy that we're in the playoffs and, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know... <laughs> You choose. You, you don't get a choice really in the end, do you? So you know, give it. If we did have one, I, I probably wouldn't have picked them. As I said before, I think they're, they're probably the most dangerous of the the other teams that we could have faced, based on what we've seen home and away. Um, and then we've got to go down to Dean Court again now, um, and kind of uh, do do it all over again. And I, I think you know the. Uh, the pride I had supporting Brentford in the, the two matches, um, especially the game at, at, at Brentford. I thought we played some, some brilliant football to come back from a goal down. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's such a lottery though, Bill. You know, we, we know this. You kind of like, you know, we've had, we've had campaigns in the playoffs where we're delighted to, to get the, you know, the team that we get in the first leg and it's just, that's not worked out for us. And then we've been, you know, campaigns where we've been petrified of getting, you know, the, the, say like Bristol City in the first leg home and away and then we beat them. 
Um, so it, for whatever reason, it's you know you can try and box clever and try and think one team's easier than the other, but everyone's there on merit and everyone's got their own dangers. But uh, you know it's 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 irrelevant now. We we have to we have to go there uh, tomorrow night um, and put in uh, an incredible performance, one that is either full of attacking flair and we go and play them off the park and beat them um, and we, we bring an advantage back to, to New Griffin Park or we, uh, you know, it's damage limitation and we, we come away with a draw or a very narrow defeat. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a cup, it's a, it's a home and away cup tie now. It's very different from the from the league. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it and I think you're right. You know, we have kind of approach this in a bit of a low key um, I, I wouldn't say I've given it too much thought this week if I'm honest with you um, and I'm, you know, I am looking forward to it I'm looking forward to going down the pub it's a shame it's such an early kick off but you know, we've then got another match straight afterwards we've got the Barnsley Swansea game um, which is kind of uh, you know, it's, it's a good fact finding mission so yeah I, you know, it is what it is Bill and um, I know we're capable of beating them because we have done but my worry is they owe us so listen, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Bournemouth in a little bit later. But it's interesting you talked about New Griffin Park because let's talk about the build-up to this game because obviously um, uh, with the lockdown easing on by the time people will listen to this on the Monday as well, the lockdown would have eased so much. So we're going to be actually getting fans in the stadium. And we saw on Saturday, obviously the FA Cup final, Leicester versus Chelsea as well. And a little bit of a underdog uh, thing that happened there at the FA Cup final at Wembley because you had the underdogs who not only beat Chelsea, but also there was loads of fans in the stadium. And uh, if everyone forgot about what it's like to go absolutely garrity, you know, I think you saw it in this cup final where it wasn't even a case when Leicester scored where obviously their fans went garrity because they have not been in a stadium for so long and all of a sudden you're in Wembley and then your team has gone 1-0 up and you're going absolutely mad but it wasn't that it was in the final minute when Chelsea scored and then VAR which we all hate obviously <laughs> played into Leicester's hands for once and the Leicester fans were going absolutely bonkers on the 90th minute actually when that goal was disallowed and it just made you realise you sort of think god you know please 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 let me just beg so much that we can actually just win this match so that we can go to Wembley and have that day out that we should have had last year but um that was that was actually quite good wasn't it Laney? Yeah it, it actually added to the excitement as a neutral um especially as a neutral that wanted Leicester to win not you know not because I'm not necessarily that anti-Chelsea, but it was, uh, you know, they'd beaten us in the FA Cup. So to, to have, for Brentford to have gone out to the to the, the, the winners is kind of uh, a little bit more kudos for us. And we actually went out of the, the League Cup to the finalists as well with Spurs because we were in the semi-final. So, you know, all in all, it's it's been a, an okay season. I just don't want to, I don't want to be losing to the team that goes up in the playoffs. That's the, that's the hat trick I don't really want. We actually, it'd be nice for us to be the ones that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't go out to anyone. We actually just go and finish the job up ourselves. Yeah, that's right, you know, and so and so, so. So what's interesting? I mean, we're talking about sort of fans in the stadium because there's been, you know, the move for the bees as well. Because there's going to be um, fans in the stadium for both matches. I mean, Bournemouth fans got, I believe, it's three thousand tickets for the game on Saturday. I think they went straight up ballot for get to our fans getting tickets for their game as well. And we went with a system which was a mix between taps and uh, which is the points that you get for the amount of the, you get the amount of games that you've been to over the years and season, having season ticket and so on and so forth. So there's a mixture between um, Taps and the, and, the, and the other fans actually have gone into a ballot for the remaining tickets that are left. So that should be quite exciting come next Saturday coming, which is the second leg, which this is the only thing we're going to really talk about that second leg. But, you know, but interesting because there was a few comments flying around, Laney, about, you know, the allocation of these tickets as to whether or not it was fair or not, wasn't there? Yeah, you, you have to feel sorry um, and, um, you know, a, a little bit kind of, uh, you have to understand how it would feel not to qualify um, to get a ticket for, for this game, having not qualified for the, the two games um, earlier in the season where fans were allowed in the uh, the Blackburn and the Reading matches. Um, so, you know, everyone kind of, you know, gets the, the frustration um, and the, the want to, to be in there supporting your team we get we get that um but you know I, I just think it's just so unprecedented to be in a situation where you know we have to have massively reduced capacity um and a system that kind of um is in place but that is not one that's just made up on the on the spur of the moment it, this 
the system um you know is, is one that they use to determine who was to the ones that got into those first games and because it's a playoff game and it's not actually part of the season proper and wouldn't have been covered by a season ticket we would have had to have applied for this in our own right then the criteria has to be exactly the same you know someone said you know just because you got a, a ticket for the fourth round of the FA Cup it doesn't mean you can't get a ticket for the fifth round of the FA Cup it's just that you know it's the same criteria for the for the for the next for the next round of the cup competition in the playoffs is, is exactly that so you know yes yes we understand and um you know it's been a bit it's been a few un, un, uncalled for you know it's like you know fans that get in feel that they're you know they're 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 kind of a, a, like smug or something i don't i don't i've, I've not sensed that at all um you know but you know if you, you they have the club have to have um, divide the fans somehow and determine, you know, who's who's the ones that get it and who hasn't. And you know, it's gone on season tickets and you know consecutive season ticket um, applications and and tap points. And I, I don't know what else they could have done, really, Bill. And and the, and the thing is, and, and it's got to be said, you know, I mean, listen, you, you and me, we both got a ticket, but you know, I mean, we've got quite a lot of tap points, and you know, we've been, you know, we've been consecutive home and away to matches for Christ knows how many seasons, like you know, so you, you know, you, you build them up, you know, and we understand that other people, you know, they may not be able to get to games, they might be at university. There's all sorts of different reasons why, you know, I think the thing to, to be borne in mind, and we're not sitting there sort of flying, the, you know, the corner of the of the club or anything like that, but you know. The reason why the taps came into play was because of what happened at Southampton years ago. And they put a system into place so that we would never have that happen again, where you basically put tickets on sale and they went, you know, to the first come, first served and they, they sold out within an hour. And then people who had been going for years couldn't get hold of a ticket. And yes, people might say, you know, it's unfair because this stops actually other people coming through and getting tickets. But what I do actually, th- I, I'm not 100% sure if that is true, because I think what's happened this time, they actually put something into play, which we've talked about quite a few times on the podcast, where I mentioned the, the way that England fans do it, where what they do is that they they sell about 70% of the tickets to people with the highest caps, as they call it, or the highest taps. And then they put the remaining 30% of the, of the tickets to people in a lottery, in a ballot. Why they do that is that enables the people who don't have the lower caps to still have a chance to get a ticket and it helps to build their their caps points up, especially for away games. Uh, Even they say that England away games are actually worth less than home games because they want people to go home games so that they can pay back for Wembley Stadium. But that's a separate issue altogether. So what Brentford have done, they've actually done that this time. So they put in a ballot. So even if you don't have enough tap points, you still have a chance to get a ticket. So I think that, you know, thinking about what other way that they could do it, there is... There, there are very few other ways rather than whipping up the book and then just starting again. And you can't really do that in the middle of a campaign. No, absolutely not. You know, it's, it's, you need to be consistent and you need to have clear, clear rules that everyone understands from, you know, the beginning of a season or the beginning of a, a kind of um, a tap accruing a, a uh uh, campaign really you know if you're gonna if you're gonna wipe the slate clean you have to do it and give people warning and you know I, I don't see a reason why anyone would want to do that or flip it yeah it's, it's, it's incredibly important that um uh the young Brentford fans are uh, are allowed an opportunity to, to 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 come along um and because they may not have had that kind of length of, of season ticket um, records, then, you know, I, I guess, you know, you'd be angry and feel like you were being punished. Um, but us legacy fans, Bill, as I think, I think what we're called now, isn't it? After yes, the Super yeah. League, we're, we're legacy yeah, fans. Yes, um, we, we, we've, we've done, we've done the hard miles as well. And that's, you know, that's not, no, no one's turning around and sticking our fingers up and going, there you go. Uh, so I'm all right, Jack, don't worry. But, you know, do one um it's not it's not like that at all but there, there is no perfect system especially in the middle of a epidemic um and uh you know I, as i said i'm not sure what else the club really could have done without hacking off uh you know the, the people that have been buying season tickets for year in year out you know they, they have to come top um especially when the you know the capacity is reduced without a reduced capacity everyone gets in next season everyone gets in you know, it, this problem is only a problem now, thankfully. So uh, mm-hmm. let's, you yeah. know, let's let's hope we never we're never back here again. 
That's right. And so, and just looking at the cup final, and this is just my little thought here as well. I mean, I think it's a bit strange that the FA Cup final has 21,000 fans and they're proposing for the playoff final. There's going to be 10,000 fans again. I don't necessarily should be talking about that because it's a bit of a touchwood situation. But what I will say, and I sort of said this a few weeks ago, is that I think it's all a moving feat. And, you know, if the FA Cup final was, to, was seen to be a success, you may never know, you know, actually things might change in the next few days and the next week or so with regards to other matches. I think they've got to sort of kind of play matches to, to prove things and if if they prove that things have gone right then you know hopefully things will be better but listen we don't want to talk about that at the moment now because we've still got a few games to win but interestingly like I said to you this weekend Laney there was no football or there is no club football because obviously the season finished last season and our game is on Monday so we had a weekend off so what did you do on your weekend off? I went to see some chums. I saw a couple of a couple of the B besotted crew that I hadn't seen. They've not been coming down the pub um, for for no, loyal. different. Yeah, so no, they've been going down a different pub. But uh, you know, there's only so much capacity in, in the one we're watching. So uh, it was nice to see them. We caught up, chewed the fat, um, watched the second half of the uh, FA Cup. Um, I'm about to go on a, a long walk as the sun's come out, so um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, Friday, I didn't, what did I do Friday? I don't know, I can't remember. So yeah, I, 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 but I'm not, as I, as I said earlier, I'm not counting down the seconds for tomorrow. I think tomorrow I'll be really excited when I wake up, you know, no. it's not, it's not going to be a productive day tomorrow. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think it's like a, you know, a one o'clock cut off. You know, I think that's like I'll, I'll turn the turn the Mac off at uh, at, uh, at at one, and then uh, yes. just just probably I might I might go to, I might get a train to Richmond and walk along the river, Bill, and then uh, come come in that way. If you want to join me, have a little stroll stroll along the Thames. I'll see. Depends on what time you leave. Got to pick the daughter up from uh, from school as it is. So, but let's let's see how that goes. Like I said to you, just try, we're trying to. Well, you can see, we're just trying to keep it chilled. You know, for me, the weekend. Uh, it was. I've, I've had a mad week. To be honest with you, it's <laughs> it's got so mad. I've I've forgotten a few things that I probably shouldn't have forgotten, which is probably a bit of a fluff. Um, uh, but that's kind of what happens when you're. You know, it's good to be busy. I suppose sometimes. But on a Friday night, I was actually invited on the Cherries Red Army podcast with a Barnsley fan and a Swansea can so Swans cast and also. So um, Carlo from uh, the Reds Report, brilliant character from uh, Barnsley as well. So I was on their podcast on Friday. And also we had Kirk from, uh, 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 sorry, Carl from uh, Cherry's Red Army as well. And uh, we were uh, we were sort of kind of just talking and shooting the breeze, actually. It was Kirk from Cherry's Red Army. And we were shooting the breeze about the playoffs. And we were talking about Brentford and Swansea and, you know, who's gonna, how are we going to do? And to be fair, you know, it's quite, you know, Fair to, 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 to Kirk, he put a little, decent little production, he put a few little screens up, you know, Ivan Tony sharing the stats and, you know, he put, you know, quite a lot of work into it. So I'd say to you, you know, um, if you get a chance and you want to sort of catch up on a sort of little bit more information to find out what all the fans are saying, definitely go to Cherry's Red Army or go to the Besotted Twitter or Facebook page. There's a link on there as well. You can go and check that out. So that was on Friday, Friday night. And like I said to you, for me, I mean, I just, I, I didn't even, been thinking about bees, you know. I mean, as you know, I do my football coaching thing. We had a massive game on Saturday morning as well, playing the top of the league team, and we was all getting fired up for that. We've been playing friendlies all over the place. I was up in Luton last week in the freezing cold and stuff, and we played yesterday. Club Shop Ann came down to help out with a little bit of coaching. You remember, a couple of Shop Shop Ann who used to work at the club shop as well and she she used to play for Brentford ladies so she came down helping us out with a little bit of coaching and my mate Dave as well and we came down there properly folk and I'll tell you something we absolutely brilliant brilliant day fantastic it was almost like a bees bees day out like a fantastic bees day out got the result scored five goals only one in return girls were really delighted really happy against a team that's top of the league so uh yeah it was brilliant so for me i had a full-on football day but not a bees football day a proper grassroots football day with a lot of happy 12 year old girls and myself and my daughter and my wife and everybody like that so it was very good so i still got my football buzz laney but it wasn't quite a bees buzz out of that one so but anyway listen you happy with that yeah yeah, I'm, I'm, happy. I'm, I'm happy. I've just got my, I've got, um, got my mindset on a, on a stroll down the river and maybe a couple of uh, stop offs, uh, some, some riverside pubs en route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like I said, you, I might because I'm now, now I'm on a come down after that, um, that, that buzzing Saturday morning. I might, you know, like I said to you, I might join you. But look, talk about joining you because we're talking about joining you for the game on Monday. I'm gonna take a little break with you, lady. We'll have a little twang. And after we come back, we're going to find out what Will, the spreadsheet winker, thinks about these playoffs. 
Spreadsheet winker, he's a winker. So it's that time of the year again. Let's try to predict probably the most random three games of the entire season. We're going to go through each team's XG for and against over the course of the season and see where they compare to the other teams in the same situation. Let's start with our opponents on Monday evening, Bournemouth. Muff had a very up and down season. They've had plenty of games where they've blown the opposition away, creating 3xG or more on four occasions. But they've also had plenty of games where they've failed to get going at all, creating less than 0.5xG on five occasions, including in their third most recent match against the Mighty Bees. They've created an average of 1.44 and conceded an average of 1.16 across the full 46-game season. They were enjoying a prolific run at creating lots of opportunities, creating more than 1xG in eight consecutive games before playing us. But since then, they've lost three on the bounce, although they're probably unlucky to lose against Wickham. Their defence is probably what's let them down most in recent matches, with the opposition creating more than the average of 1.16xG in three out of their last four. They have the third largest XG differential in the playoffs, creating 0.28 more XG than they'd concede in the average match. Now on to Brentford. We have the highest XG differential, creating a whopping 0.82 more XG than we concede in the average game. That means we outcreate the opposition by almost one goal per match, nearly three times more than Bournemouth or Barnsley do. Our defence has been unbelievable since the switch to a back three, conceding above the average of 0.89 XG per game only twice against Cardiff and Rotherham since the switch of system. We go into the playoffs with comfortably the best defence in it, which will be invaluable coming up against the attackers of Bournemouth. We were the defence that they created the least against this season, with their lowest attacking output coming in the 1-0 Bees win a couple of weeks ago. On to Barnsley now, who are the surprise package of the playoffs this season, with their high-pressing style and fast counter-attacks sure to make playing them difficult. They have the second-best XG differential, creating 0.29 XG more than they concede across the season. They've also had some decent form recently, with their defence leaking more than average in the last three games, but only being beaten on XG once. When they played Swansea back in January, the Swans scored two from a total of just 0.72 XG, and Barnsley were incredibly lucky to lose. The Swans ended up doing the double over them, limiting them to just 0.35 XG in the game in Wales. So it'll be a fascinating encounter to watch on Monday night. So then, Swansea. Analysts' least favourite team in the Championship this year, comfortably the worst XG differential in the playoffs, creating just 0.07 XG more than they concede across the season. Their season differential might even be negative if you exclude a few matches where they've created 2.5 XG or more. They've consistently had games where they've created less than 0.5 XG, especially in the second half of the season. So then, why have they kept winning? The reason is twofold. Firstly, they've been lucky on several occasions, and second, they have some players with elite finishing ability like Andre Ayew and Jamal Lowe. Whether or not these two turn up against the South Yorkshire high press will be key to whether or not they progress to Wembley. So that was Will, the spreadsheet winker. And, I mean, he broke down those playoffs stats-wise. Uh, as we know, listen, it is, a, it is a lottery and you just never know what will happen. You know, you just go, you go gung-ho in those games. You know, if you look at it stats-wise, it's looking very good for the Bees, but... We know now not to not not not, not to, to to rest on our laurels because we've been you know top of the pile so many times when we've gone into playoffs and it hasn't worked out our way. But um, it, it's interesting about the Bournemouth because you know we were both a little bit nervous about coming against Bournemouth. Then obviously they went on that three-match um, loss, and we you know we've done very well in the last what, twelve games or so. So we're thinking you know hopefully we'll do all right against them. The thing that was sort of kind of was, became very obvious against Bournemouth, we know this anyway, is that they have got some quality players who can do us damage. So we need to be on the money. You know, it's that whole adage of having, you know, be able to create opportunities. And then you've got sort of kind of like, I say, world-class players, not world-class players, but, you know, potential Premier League players who will be able to put those into the back of the net. You know, and, 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 and you know, they've got, you know, um, it's just, you know they've got Solanke and Denjuma who are, they're great players. I mean, if you look at Danjuma, I think when he played against us, you know, was it in the which game was it, you know? And he was like, you thought, God, this player is really, really good. The, the one thing I'd say to us is defensively, we have been so much tighter recently. I would like to think that, uh, and also with Norgard sitting where he is, I'd like to think that we may give them probably less of a run than they would like to think. And also looking at the way that we played in that game against them, where they seem to be a little bit lost. You know, if you're talking about, you know, the XG and stuff, you know, like we've, you know, we've, as, 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 as the Winker said, 
we've been creating, you know, some decent chances down the line. And Bournemouth seemed to be a little bit up and down, you know, against them. Um, I don't know how they lost that because they, you know, they created a load of chances in that one. 2.52 was their XG in that one as well. But other than that, like, you know, and then and Millwall as well, it was quite high, you know, 2.29. But other than that, you know, they're sort of kind of ones, just over ones, just, you know, a little bit higher ones. And, you know, and so for me, I'm, I'm sort of thinking to myself, if we can do the job that we do to stop them with the chance creation, like we did in their game, we should be okay. I mean, for me, and we'll probably do the, you know, we'll probably do the, the, the score predictions a little bit later. For me, I'm just looking to contain Bournemouth in this game. You know, you might think, oh, well, that's, that's a bit dangerous, but we're going down to their place. I'm not looking for a win. I'm looking for us to just contain them so we can take them back to our place. I mean, how do you think about it, Laney? Yeah, I think that's 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 shrewd. But you know, we we've tried to second guess what what Thomas Frank and the players would do um, in the last couple of games. You know, we, we said you know in the, the Bristol City game we'd rest everyone and not take any risks, and the opposite happens. We we you know they went really strong, and uh, you know uh, it, it, it's they they don't seem to to change the way they set themselves up. Uh, at all in the league, really. Once, once or twice, but not often. Um, and you know, it, it will be the strongest possible team. And you know, we, we, we probably know it'll be a million, million miles different to the to the one that was set up. Um, you know, from when we went down to Dean Court. And you're right; it's it's about keeping it really tight at the back. It's, it's the the winker is spot on in saying, you know, our defence um, since we've been gone, gone to this three stroke five at the back has been excellent. But, you know, we also know that we're capable of uh, uh, a cock up um, and so is the goalie. So it, it's, it's a matter of like, if we're, if we're strong and composed and um, watertight at the back as we, ha- we have been and can be, then we'll be we'll be okay. You know, we are going to create chances during the game, and Ivan Tony um, is back scoring goals again. So it's 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 really you know if we get the defence sorted out and they they can stay um, stay on top of their game, then you know we stand every chance of coming back to to New Griffin Park still in the tie. Uh, and if we can come back all square, um, then I'd be happy. If we come back in the lead, I'd be delighted. Um, but we also know, you know, we were able to come back to to to, to our patch and and, reserve, and reverse a deficit, which we did against Swansea last year. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm supremely confident in them. But I think, you know, we, we have to make sure that the second leg is, is is not harder than it needs to be. And that's kind of conceding no goals. I'll be happy. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think the interesting thing, I mean, for me, and I think a lot of Bees fans, you know, we kind of get a little bit more comfortable when we're playing teams who, as we say, play football, which Bournemouth do. And, uh, you know, they played football against us two time and we managed to, you know, to say out football them, but we managed to beat them twice because of the style of football that they played, you know, as opposed to, you know, like what Parker did when, you know, when we played at Wembley and he kind of, you know, I mean, we, we overthought it and he, you know, had his tactics and we, we came up a little bit of a cropper. And, and I'm just wondering again, because, you know, I've seen Jonathan Woodgate and he at Borough, he, tr- he was trying to play a style of football, you know, from the start of that season. I remember they played that game up at Luton um, and they, you know, I think Lewis Wing scored for them and they just playing this style of football, you know, trying it for the season. But they didn't really have the players. They didn't have the players at all to play that style of football. And he was really struggling. And then he went from kind of being all right to just being not very all right. And he couldn't change it up. And I'm just wondering, and I, and I said this on the on the Cherries podcast as well, whether or not he is a rookie manager who, when the going gets tough, he isn't able to sort of change things up, you know, or it makes it difficult for to change things up because he hasn't got the experience. And I think that might have been the case with Thomas Frank. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's a rookie manager. I mean, he, he took over from Dean Smith and he had, you know, probably three quarters of a season, which he was kind of learning his trade. And last season, yes, he had a whole season, but he's still basically like his one and a bit year old manager, which is fairly rookie. But now he's like a two and a bit year old manager now compared to Jonathan Woodgate. So he's learned quite a lot of things in the last year. So I would like to think that Jonathan, um, that Thomas Frank, has learnt things as opposed to Woodgate. He's learnt about, you know, this changing, you know, five to the back, you know, three, five to the back thing where we had problems, you know, other situations where we've had problems and he's had to kind of fix them. 
And I'm just wondering whether or not Woodgate's thinking, you know, if massively tactically, how am I going to do this if Thomas Frank does this? He's got some great players and maybe the players just don't listen to him. And they just go, listen, he probably said, listen, just go out and do your thing. You know, you're Bournemouth, you're brilliant. You know, you cost, you know, 40 million, you cost 50 million, you're on loads of money a week. Go off and do your thing. And maybe that's kind of how it works. But I would like to think that, you know, we would have actually kind of looked at their play quite a lot and we would try to, you know, squeeze them in the areas that might hurt them, which means that they might have to, when they're going right, they might actually turn left. So that is my one sort of kind of sort of like sort of shining light in this match coming up here that we have got maybe a slightly more experienced manager who may be able to flip things if we need to. Yeah, I, I hope I hope that's right. Um, you know, we have got the experience of last year, whether it's you know whether it's the players or it's the manager or as it as it, us as fans, you know. And I and you know I, I still have to kind of keep pinching myself to to, to realise that we're in the playoffs for the second time running um, to get into the Premier League, and it's the third time that we've done that in in our in our time uh, in, in back in the Championship, and you know. I know, I know that we're kind of obviously smarting still from you know copious amounts of uh, failure in the playoffs. But you know, you, you, the, the first year under under Warbs when we went out at Borough, you know, you, you can't tell me that you know we were ready to go up um, at that level. And you, you know, that, that wasn't that was an un, unsurprising defeat in the playoffs. Last year, obviously, hurt because it was you know it was. You know, after a nil-nil draw, um, and it was against Fulham, and you know the first goal was a bit of a fluke, or it was a bit of a cock-up by Raya, um, or it was a bit of a genius strike. Um, uh, and then this year, we just got a hope that we put it all behind us. So yeah, the, from a, from a managerial perspective, you know, Woodgate's landed on his feet down on the south coast. That's, that's an incredible uh, uh, squad of players to inherit and to find, you know, find yourself in charge of when, you know, you, you just one minute you're out of the game, next minute you're brought in as kind of like some sort of assistant and, and like, like a cuckoo in the nest. And then you've uh, you've you've been there and, and helps the, the guy that's brought you in get sacked and you've taken over and you've taken him to the playoffs. So whether the Bournemouth owners and directors will see um, getting to the playoffs as a, as a success, I'm not sure. They probably will, considering where they were at certain points of the season. But I would have thought that they got relegated from the Prem last year with every uh, expectation of going straight back up. So, you know, there's a lot riding on it. Um, although they've got parachute payments for a few years to come, uh, you know, they'll, they will be seeing that, uh, that Norwich and Watford came down with them and went straight back up and they will feel that they, they are the ones that have got the pedigree to, to do that. And we have to make sure that, you know, we don't feel um, second best or we don't feel that we are um, in any way inadequate. I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm, Probably as fans, I think that's that's the biggest battle. The players won't be. I, I I don't think I can name more than two or three occasions in the whole time we've been in the second tier that the team have, sit, have, have felt slightly overawed. I I, I think um, uh, at Newcastle, um, I, I felt that. Um, and then the Norwich, when we lost five, I think we didn't turn up that day. Um, but it's only a handful of times where we've not really, you know, we, we've let the occasion get the better of us. You know, sometimes we have been beaten by a better team, don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I, I don't think that our team um, and our club now are phased by going to any stadium. And, and um, you know, people say we bottled the, the playoff final last year. I don't, I don't see, I didn't think we did. I don't think we performed to our potential. I don't think we bottled it. Um, you know, we, we, we were nil-nil at 90 minutes. That's, that's not, a, that's, you know, we didn't get turned over 5-0. It was, it was, it was tight. And I thought that game was going to extra time and penalties. So I'm um, going to penalties rather. So, uh, yeah, you know, we have to, we have to remember that, you know, we've come such a long way and we've lost seven games all season, which shows there has been a consistency and it may not have been, you know, we've not won enough games ultimately to get us over the line automatically, but it's been a, it's been a good demonstration of, of how, how um, professional and how focused this, this team are. And we've let ourselves down with a few lapses here and there, like every team's done, you know, it's only the two that have gone up automatically have been more consistent than the rest, you know, but we're there third on merit. And I think it's a remarkable achievement. And I, I'm not worried about our team. 
I'm just worried that Bournemouth might all of a sudden find the missing gears that have kind of been uh, been you know eluded them for for a good chunk of the season. They're they're a very good team. They're very dangerous, and, and on their day. Um, and on when we're not on our day, they've got the beating of us. And we just have to go out there and, and prove that uh, you know we are better. And, I, and I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm confident. I just want to see it with my own eyes now. Listen, I've got to ask the question, and it's a bit of the elephant in the room, and it's not the elephant in the room for a lot of people. But listen, we've lost nine players out of nine, Laney. We've lost, if I remember rightly, six uh, playoff or not playoff, six major finals. We call it major final. The LDV, as far as I'm concerned, is a major final because when I was very young, that was the only cup that Brentford are ever in. So that was very important to me. So like we've missed six finals out of six in either Wembley or Cardiff. A lot of people are saying that we have big game itis. Even the second tier podcast the other day, we had Sim Gollum, who's the uh, EFL editor for Sky, and he was on saying, you know, I don't think, I don't understand why Brentford are so so uh, are the favourites for these playoffs because basically they just, in effect, he said they bottle it when it comes to big game situations. And he goes, I mean, I'd love to see if they don't because I live around the corner from them, but I can't see it not happening now. We keep on trying to say this things like this is ridiculous because you know Brentford. You know, how can the Brentford team of Ivan Tony now be related to the Brentford team of, uh, you know, Chris Kamara back in 1985 when they lost the Leyland Death final, which is probably kind of the beginning of this run, even though some people say this goes all the way back to the, the War Cup final, which is the last probably big uh, cup final that we won. But then other people are sort of saying, well, actually, maybe it's just ingrained in the clubs that when you sort of turn up here because we've got this kind of attitude which is like well we just always lose the playoffs it just rubs off on people like you know whereas like you might go to other clubs and they're like we are winners this is all we do we win and even though they may not play really well they may win in the big occasion so i'm just wondering laney is there sort of any credence in that theory some but not too much uh, we can only compare this team with last year's team. I think anything else that came before that is, you know, pre pre uh, Thomas Frank, pre uh, the, you know uh, Pontus and, and the players. That, no, it, it, there's no, there's no lineage between you know losing to Crew in 1997 and losing to Fulham last year. It, it, it's, it's unrelated. Um, Matthew Benham and um, the DOFs, they're, they're they're not losers. They're they're very successful at what they do. There is no losing mentality. It's just that you you know we are we are punching um, in a in a bigger league as well. You know <laughs> losing to to. to you know, losing at Cardiff to Stoke City, you, you can say they were a better team than us on the on the day, and they deserved it. We didn't, we haven't, we haven't performed to our potential, but we we have got promoted out. Of, so we we have won important games in 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 the season to get promoted automatically. Yeah, we've done that four times. So it, it, it isn't it isn't like we bottle every single time there's a chance of getting promoted. It is literally just the playoffs. You know, we have got promoted into the second tier and we've competed and we, we've, we've won pretty much at every ground around the country that we, we've played at, um, over, you know, over the course of those six or seven years. So we, we don't bottle every big game. We just haven't been successful in the playoffs. And I, I, I do get it as fans because we, we're, the, we're the only constant. We're the only people that have gone through that. It's our problem. It isn't this squad's problem, and I think it's a little bit lazy to uh, to burden this lot with losing to Wigan in 1985. I just think it's you know it's it's silly. You know, it's like the re- you know you you having a bad time in on holiday 30 years ago isn't the reason you had a bad time on holiday last year or the year before. You know, they're unrelated. You know, it's it's it's, it's completely different different club to the one that was we supported 10 or 11 years ago with pre-Benham days so uh, yeah no I, I don't I don't read too much into it so I'll ask the question then what about red and white stripe gate okay apparently if you wear red and white stripes every team in red and white stripes has uh, lost the playoffs as well so is there anything in that no it's just coincidence no there's nothing in that yeah, did you notice as well? Actually, the, the every team who's won red and white stripes has lost the playoffs, except for Stoke, who wore red and white stripes. But the, yeah, red and white stripes. Well, they just yeah, put them on the side. Just, <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever underlines your point of view. And you know, we 
we we didn't wear red and white stripes in a lot of those playoff finals. We we wore black and white stripes uh, against Crew, and we wore blue, blue, blue and them. yellow, and then we wore blue last year against Fulham. And you know, red and white was nowhere. Not red and white was everywhere. Well, it was, <laughs> it was, was coming. Oh, that's what I heard actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the books with rookery. Right. But anyway, yeah. so and, and so I mean, okay. So you so you dispute the red and white stripe. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, what about? South Southern Dressing Room Gate. And uh, this was the fact that, you know, the Southern Dressing Room at Cardiff was always the lucky dressing room. Any team that got that always won. And I think it got to 13 games and Brentford got the Southern Dressing Room and we were the first team to have lost a final in the Southern Dressing Room. So Southern Dressing Room Gate, do you think that's all nonsense as well? It's, 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 it's bollocks, Bill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's just a coincidence. It's just, uh, it's... You know, heads or tails. You play heads or tails enough, you do get sequences like that, and then all of a sudden it flips. So no, there's we aren't we aren't jinxed. We, we we're not. Please, we're not. No, I'm small, not. I'm not trying small, to convince myself here. Small it's small just, sample small sample size. Then is it, Laney? That's what it is. A small sample size. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll go. We'll go with that. We'll go. Yeah. With we'll that. go with that one. So listen. All right. Listen. So listen. We're going to um, have a little bit of a random season roundup. We're going to go to my man JB. Who's got some facts and some funk at the end of the season? JB, sock it to you. Are you ready for this? I told you it was coming. Who? JB, and he's ready to sock it to you one time. Uh, get it. Hello, Jonathan Birchall here again. As we finish the season in third place for the second season running. It's the first time for 70 years that we finished in the same position two successive seasons. Back in 1950 and 51, we finished ninth in Tier 2. Only twice before has a manager previously achieved back-to-back top three finishes. Malcolm McDonald in the 50s, Harry Curtis in the 30s, both with a second and third place finish in the third tier, although none ended in promotion. Over the course of the season, we're in the top half of the table after 44 of our 46 matches. We're in the automatic promotion places for just under a quarter of the season, whilst we're in the playoff places 46% of the time. After returning from the first Covid break at Fulham on the 20th of June 2020, we played 12 competitive matches to conclude last season. With 8 cup matches this season, 46 league games and at least 2 playoff games, it will take our total to a minimum of 68 matches in a little over 11 months. Only Manchester City and Chelsea will have played more, but they do have slightly bigger squads. So there goes JB, and he just threw it in there about squad sizes at the end. You know, we've just, it's almost, let's get our excuses in early. I mean, Bournemouth have got a bigger squad than us, haven't they, Laney? Yeah, they've, they've got a bigger squad than us, like, you know. Yeah, well, Watford had a bigger squad than us as well, like, you know, who else has got a bigger squad than us? I don't know. Let's just, uh, Barnsley? Oh, you know, Swansea probably do, didn't they? Oh, yeah, let's just throw it all in there at the moment now. No, no, that's good. Listen, great, great. JB's been a you know, real brush of fresh air this year. He's come up with some wicked, wicked stats and facts and, and always something to make you feel like, tell you something, when you look back at it, back in the day, and you look at it like that, tell you something, we can always see light at the end of the tunnel. It's always glass half full. And I'm always sort of feeling positive when we come out of a JB section. You, Lane? Yeah, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed his contribution this season. It's uh, it's good. It's some, sometimes they're a little bit irreverent. Sometimes they're a bit quirky. Um, sometimes they're you know it's, it's a real education to kind of like have uh, that kind of knowledge. You know, I, I don't know how he records it. I don't know. He's obviously um, um, he's obviously a man machine, just like Vitaly Yanelt. So uh, yeah, I've, as I said, I've really enjoyed it, and hopefully, hopefully, he does it again next year. I was talking about Vitaly Yanelt and being a man yes. machine. There's, I think. By the time you read this, there will be some besotted T-shirts with uh, uh, a craftwork-like man machine um, Vitaly Yanelt design on the front of it. So, uh, um, yeah, click the link that's with this pod and um, you shall be transported to a world of T-shirt wonder. So uh, if you like it, buy it. If you don't, don't. <laughs> the Yen Elk man is been a revelation as well and we'll talk about that we'll talk about the game we'll talk about the football you know after the break we're going to come back we're going to talk more about Bournemouth but we're actually going to talk to Kirk from Cherry's Red Army and he's going to give us the lowdown on Bournemouth as they go into these playoffs Hi there, Kirk Toby here from Red Army, the AFC Bournemouth fan channel on YouTube for the fans, inclusive of the fans. 
content we provide does include previews, reviews, live fan reaction and much more and you can find us on Twitter at Cherries Red Army. So our AFC Bournemouth, a team relegated from the Premier League last season would also mean that our beloved Eddie Howe would also leave the club as well. A quick turnaround between seasons would mean that Jason Tindall would get the job. Now although Jason Tindall lacked experience as a manager, he was an assistant to Eddie Howe for more than 10 years and the fans took to this that the continuity was kept in place. We lost three big players from that squad being Nathan Ake, Callum Wilson and Aaron Ramsdale but we kept a lot of our squad. That made us fans feel like we could be in business this season and do really well. We hoped for automatics but minimum we were looking for the playoffs. That squad, that talent we expected to turn up most weeks and it did that from the start of the season. We were picking up points, scoring goals, winning football matches probably too many draws as the season got through the first quarter but we were up there we were in second at one point and we were quite happy however into January we'd start sort of hit a sticky point of our season Jason Tindall would be tinkering with a back three and a back four and also making changes per game sometimes four or five players and that would upset the rhythm we would lose to teams like Luton and Derby and then we would lose to Sheffield Wednesday, but weirdly, the day before this game, Jonathan Woodgate came in as a coach for Jason Tindall. We would lose the following day against Sheffield Wednesday at home 2-1. Jason Tindall would be relieved of his duties, and Jonathan Woodgate would end up getting the gig until the end of the season after a three-week period looking for a new manager. Jonathan Woodgate did get a sort of reaction from the team. We would pick up points we would get back to winning ways and we were starting to score goals as well he would tinker a little bit as well at early on with a back three as well but it didn't quite work out lost to QPR and lost to Cardiff but then would cement a 4-2-3-1 formation that would help us go on a seven win game streak which included wins against Swansea Watford and Norwich we were looking for an eight consecutive club record win in the league but that would be halted by Brentford who would come to the vitality and with 10 men beat us 1-0. Funnily enough though the next day results elsewhere would mean that AFC Bournemouth would be confirmed a playoff place. So the last two games of the season at Wickham and Stoke were a bit of a drab. We wouldn't score we would also lose these matches as well but it, we were playing like we were scared to play our talented players were maybe too frightened to get injured and were saving themselves for the playoffs. Well, that's what we hope for. We finish in sixth and that would mean that we will play Brentford in the playoffs. Now, a lot of the fans, AFC Bournemouth fans, didn't want this fixture. They wanted to see Brentford in the final if we were to get there. I was on the opposite though. Brentford have beaten us twice this season. We played really well in the first game at Brentford, took the lead, should have scored more goals, but we lost the game 2-1. And in the second let, in the second game, we started really well in the first seven minutes, missing a really good chance. But as I said, Brentford would go on to win the game 1-0. I feel it's far finely balanced. Both teams have got a lot of quality. Brentford have got Ivan Tony in their team, plus 31 goals. And Bomo scored against us already. And you are a team that can hurt us aerially. Our weakness all season has been dealing with crosses, winning aerial battles and also we have been letting ourselves down by shooting ourselves in the foot and we seem to get punished through individual errors. So my thoughts are that I'd rather have Brentford over two legs. That would enable us, if anything goes wrong in the first game, a sending off, a penalty, a specific situation, we have another 90 minutes to turn it around. Over 180 minutes, I'm confident this squad can turn up for enough minutes and win this fixture. But it is a 50-50 battle. I do believe whoever wins this game will go on to get promoted. And remember, Brentford have got their manager from last season who made the playoff final, lost in the final, but they've got that experience. I know a lot of people say that they failed a lot in the playoffs, but at some point, maybe that has to turn around. AFC Bournemouth though, we have to stay positive. This is a one good chance for us to get back to the Premier League with the squad that we still kept intact. If we don't go up, there will be a lot of question marks over that. 
I expect the team to be a 4-2-3-1 then. I start with Egbegovic in goal, Adam Smith right back, Carter Vickers, Steve Cook centre-backs, Lloyd Kelly left back. Ben Pearson signed in January, been a very good player for us, gives us that link between the defence and the midfield. We'll play alongside Jeff Lerma with Philip Billing playing in a free role, number 10 like. He scores AFC Bournemouth win, eight goals or so this season, his best return in his old career. Arno Danjuma, 15 goals, will play off the left, David Brooks off the right. David Brooks, if he gets going and things happen, we are in business and he is one of our best footballers on his day. Unfortunately, it's just never consistent enough. And then Dom Solanke, our £20 million striker, giving us 15 goals and assists this season and we hope he can add to that in the playoffs. So that's the team I expect to start. I am going for a home win in the first leg. AFC Bournemouth 2, Brentford 1. We lost both games in the league. We're due a victory against Brentford. Then what will happen in the second leg? Who knows? Away at Brentford. Hopefully we can get a draw and go to the final. Whatever happens, good luck to both teams. May the best team win. From Kirk here at Red Army, good luck for the rest of the season. Kirk from Cherry's Red Army. And like I said, I was on this podcast last week. And uh, win, lose or draw, I'm back on the podcast on Friday with uh, Swanscast from Swansea and Carlo from Red Report. Where we, and obviously Kirk from Bournemouth as well, as we're going to be talking about what happened in the first leg of those games so if we've lost 4-0 it's going to be a rather painful hour for me but listen like I said to you glass half full and touching wood and I always keep positive I'm hoping it's not going to be like that at all so interesting little uh, thoughts remember quite positive the Bournemouth obviously you must be with a, with a squad like that you know interesting you know they talk about you know Lewis Cook who's uh they, they raved about him you know being the best player in the division uh, in, in the midfield, you know, again, we'll always argue against that because we've got different players as well. But the player that came in as well for them was a Ben Pearson from uh, from, from PNE, who obviously we know very well because we played against Ben Pearson quite a few times. And I'm just hoping Ben Pearson, he doesn't start and doesn't get his game hat on as well because he's actually quite a, a decent player. Remember Pearson from uh, PNE, don't you, Lane? Yeah, good player. Yeah, PNE have had some, they've been sort of uh, plundered a little bit in the last couple of seasons as well, haven't they? So, yeah, they, they, they've got some good players. So, yeah. 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 And, and talking about players, there's an interesting comment coming from uh, Jonathan Woodgate, who uh, I'm going to say is an interesting character. If you've ever seen any of his interviews, he's uh, not the easiest person to interview. And I've spoken to quite a few people that have interviewed him as well. And I don't know if you ever saw his, uh, his interview with Caroline Barker, which was like one of those ones which you were just like, Oh, oh, he, um, I think he, and again, allegedly, but this is my personal point of view, is I don't think he likes some um, people from the opposite sex interviewing him about football because the way that he talked to her in that interview was just pretty disrespectful to be quite honest with you and there was a little bit of what you talked to me about what do you know what do you know kind of thing but maybe that's just what he's like anyway but anyway that's a, that's a separate issue going on there but, um, but we're, we're, okay. we're a bit like that with a liberal though aren't we to be honest <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right even though we do give a little bit of respect as well though you know when he comes on and we do let him have his say um and uh it wasn't letting caroline have any of her say friend of the podcaster caroline barker but solanke Woodgate says, better than Ivan Tony. Is this just sort of a pre-match hype thing or do you think he really believes that, Laney? He probably is trying to G up his own player. Um, it's it's one of those things could, that could be pinned up in the uh, in the dressing room, in the Brentford dressing room, and used to to spur on Ivan Tony. Ivan Tony's got nothing really to prove this this season in terms of being the you know the top dog, being the best striker in the division. Um, and he has you know he's outperformed Solanke week in week out, and you know the the, the goals. The goals are the ones, you know, the, the total at the end of the season is the is the proof in the pudding, um, you know. At, in the top flight, um, we we'll see um, over these two games, we'll see. Uh, but Tony's kind of got to take amazing pride and pleasure and um, and relief from beating that record, and now he needs to go out like he's on zero goals, trying to score three or four. Um, yeah. If he can score five goals. 
uh, in the remainder of this season, Brentford are probably going to be a Premiership football club. If they score three goals, if he scores three goals between now and the end of the season, Brentford probably are going to be a Premiership football club. So we have a lot riding on on Ivan Tony um, and his state of mind. Um, you know, he, he's a he's a very very confident character. Um, he'll know exactly what's required of him, and I think he'll be chomping at the bit. Um, and he will be he will be keen to get as many chances as he possibly can uh, in the two or three games that, that, that remain. Um, and then, if he he knows that he's he's got a good chance of making himself a household name, even more so than he is already, because if he can be the one that fires us into the top flight, he's probably gonna get the biggest move of, of any Brentford player ever. Um, you know, we want to keep hold of him. We hope we can keep hold of him. If we go up, we're going to need him. But, you know, the realist in me is that, you know, his price tag becomes so colossal if he's just, if he if he, if he continues to, to, to knock the goals in the back of the net. But let's, let's worry about that later. Um, is Solanke a better player than Ivan Tony? I'd say no, not on the form of this season. But you know, it's it's he's a cracking player too. So I'm I'm not I'm not slagging the guy off. But I just don't think you have to go to the press and say that. I, I just you know, it's easy to just say, well, okay, yeah, he's a good player. But you know, how many goals he scored this year? You know, that's that's how you that's how you judge who's the better player, especially as a striker. Yeah. All right, so I mean, just just looking at it, I mean, the interesting thing. Bournemouth actually got two players on the on the same goals. Uh, Danjuma. And Solanke both scored 15 goals. So obviously both, you know, very, very dangerous players. You know, you, you don't just keep your eye on one. You've got two players on 15. Solanke's played 38 games, um, 3,500-odd minutes, OK? His XG is 16.67 over the season. So his XG per match, again, we like to use XG just to give an idea of what's going on there. Some people love it, some people hate it, but it does give a good indication. 0.44 per match, OK, is uh, XG, sort of like the quality of chances that he gets per match. 107, 109 shots per match, 40 of which are on target. So he gets an average of 2 Point eight nine shots per match. So that's um that's uh that's that's a Solanke, who okay, is better than our Ivan Tony, who's played forty four games this season. Um, he's got thirty one goals, as you know. His xG is twenty five point five one. So comparing that to sixteen point six seven, you can see that he obviously has created a lot more, you know. And his xG per match is zero point five nine, so zero point six compared to zero point four four. So it's even a third higher. So even per match, like I said, creates more shots. One hundred thirty five, like I said to you, compared to one hundred nine. You know, fifty seven on target compared to forty, and his shots per average or average shots per match is three point one two. So. You know, all in all, you know, he's getting a bigger piece of the pie. And also you have to think about this as well. I mean, um, Ivan Tony went through a bit of a lean spell, you know, in the last uh, few, um, well, last month, month or two as well. So, you know, he wasn't on fire like he was the first half of the season as well. And he's come back into it now. So if you were a neutral and you looked at between the two of those, listen, Solanke, He's a great player. Don't forget, big money that they pay for him. He's on big wages, big Premier League, all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, he's out there. But we're talking about one game, you know, where we're talking about these two players. And the thing about Solanke is that, obviously, you mustn't give him a sniff, a sniff on goal. But I think, you know, if it came and I had money, you know, to pay between the two, would you, Ivan Tony or Solanke, for me, there's only one player out of the two. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but Ivan Tony. Um, beats the goalie all night long, Bill. He does indeed. That's the Jimmy Max song as well. That you'll hear that in our post-match podcast from the Globe. Hopefully, on Monday after the game, Jimmy Max be making up new songs, and it's gone down very well down the Globe. And that's where we will be doing our post-match podcast after the pub. If you want to check it out. But listen, Laney, we've had a listen. We've had a we've had a good chat here. You know, Bournemouth. I just, I just want to ask actually because we've talked about the Slank and the Ivan Tony, but just just for the bees, because obviously we need to just quickly talk about the bees. And there's lining up. I mean, obviously, Pontus Janssen left Leeds United to come to us. You know, he lost in a semi-final there. He's come to Brentford. He's lost in the semi-final of the year afterwards. This is another semi-final for him. This is his third semi-final in a row. OK, well, he, he won the semi-final last year. He lost the final last, um, um, you know, lost the final last year. He's in a semi-final this year. 
I'm wondering, because some people and Leeds fans are saying, and I don't know if it's just sort of kind of like, you know, sour grapes with them, that he's not a big team, team player or a big game player. And when it comes to big games, he loses it and loses his bottle. And there's a few Bees fans as well, you know, when he actually got sent off a few ga- uh, games ago was it against, uh, against Bournemouth, actually, wasn't it? Mm. He got yeah. sent off and they're saying, oh, you know, come on, you need to kind of reel it in. But Pontus Janssen, do you think he's going to step up to the plate? I oh, God, I hope so. You know, he's, we 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 do look better with him in the team, um, and same with Norgard, obviously. Um, I yeah, I, I do I do kind of get that criticism slightly. I think it's a bit harsh to say, you know, overall, you know, he's he's not a big game player. Um, but um, I did expect a little bit more from him since he's he's been back. I, I you know, he's he's been out for a long time. Let's not forget that. So he may not be, you know, bang on his fitness as he as he, as he might have been in the you know the start of the previous season. But uh, you know, I I I do expect a little bit more from him at times. In terms of sometimes in, in leadership, you know, he was he was very vociferous um, on the sidelines and in the stands, um, shouting and cheering on the players. I don't quite see that vocalness um, on the pitch at the moment. But you know, again, it's, it's almost like you either lose or you you bottle it. And um, I, I just sometimes, you know, sure you win or you bottle it. I think there is somewhere in between. And uh, you know, it, it, losing a football game is, is part of football. So you know, it's it, it's a it's a big opportunity for him um, to, to to prove that you know, or, or a big opportunity to play in the top flight. Um, I, I think you know, I think we keep him, and I think you know, he's got a lot to lot to give and a lot to lot to kind of uh, um, to, to to educate the younger players that are coming through his standards. And his, his professionalism, I think, is, is pretty faultless. I just I think sometimes, you know, I think he's struggling with fitness. Yeah, so, I mean, listen, we don't need to run through the team, you know, player by player, because we've got, you know, a pretty good idea who's going to be out there for Brentford. However, what, what I'm going to ask you is that who do you think are going to be the key players that are going to play? You know, um, like, say, for example, you know, is it going to be Sergi? Is it going to be Bumo? Is it going to be both of them? Is Fossil in? Is Fossil out? You know, is it going to be Jensen? Is it going to be Marcondes? Is it, you know, so who's going to be the key players that you see as it playing a role in this game, Laney? Uh, Canos and Bumo, you're, you're right to pick those two out. That, that's, for me, is probably the biggest selection uh, conundrum that Thomas Frank's got, who to play um, at left-back. Sergi or, or Mbomo I think personally Mbomo's better coming off the bench at the moment um, unless Rico's going to be going to surprise everyone but even then I don't think, I don't think you'd risk him in, in that game um, to, to come back I think it's, it's literally the shout between um, Mbomo and Canos Canos I think his form in the last few weeks of the season has been superb um, Roslev I think is another one that can be proud of what he's done in the last few weeks it's 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 but we have to you know, repeat himself we have to keep the tightness at the back um, I don't think we're going to see Mads back Mads back going to the left back uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not expecting any curveballs it's going to be very very similar you know the other the other one is um, Tarek Fosu does he start is he a sub um, the most of the other positions, you know, we know we know what's going to happen. We know we pretty much know the, you know, how we're going to line up from from the back. Um, as I said, it's just who we pick at left back. I think the rest of it picks themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Canos has been brilliant. You know, he's really just stepped up. And if you wanted anybody to uh, step up at the right moment to get the timing right, his timing has been brilliant. You know, he, you know, at the beginning of the season, you know, we had our question marks because he was almost like trying too hard. You know, he'd come off a bad injury. And yes, he wasn't been Rama, but, you know, he's just really stepped up to the plate. And the last few games of the season, he's been almost unplayable. So I'll be very surprised if he wasn't playing in that, you know, left uh, wing back position. You know, as you say, Fosu on the side as well. You know, when Fosu's in the side, I mean, I know that you sometimes have a few question marks about it, but there's an energy about when Fosu's in the side. There's a real energy about it. And also, like I said to you, Jensen, is it going to be good Jensen or is it going to be bad Jensen that we get? And I really hope that, you know, we get the good Jensen in all the three games you know um say three games sorry I'm gonna touch wood first of all I'm saying both the games actually you know if you can get good Jensen in there then that's going to be really really top for us and uh and Norgard 
I'm going to talk about Norgard because for me, he's a, he's the top player and he's obviously shifted into the, the middle of the back three. And like I say, his distribution on the ball, his his ability to to, to see the game and to, to play just magical balls, you know, I think is, is, is going to be really key for us. So I think those are the key players. Everyone knows about Ivan Tony and he, Ivan Tony does what Ivan Tony does, but it's about what the players do around him. You know, defensively, we've been relatively tight recently. So if they can keep that tightness, but also have that extra creativity, I'm really confident that we'll actually do the business, like you know what I'm saying. So um, I'm going to ask you, Laney, give us a score prediction. I am going to go 2-1 Brentford. Interesting. And I'm going to go one all for the Bees, bring it back to new Griffin Park with a stadium full of fans shouting their head off to try and get a result from the Bees. But anyway, listen, this has been the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. Thanks for everyone for being on the show. Thanks for the Will the Spreadsheet Week. Uh, thanks for JB and thanks for Kurt from the Cherries Red Army podcast. Oh, thank as you well. as well, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Oh, thank you. Thank you, lady, as well. Like you know what I'm saying. Oh, so, cheers, cheers. Thanks, cheers, thanks going all around, isn't it? Yeah. So listen, right, okay, you know, nerves, there's been no nerves at the moment now, but I know the nerves will be kicking in probably when I sort of walking down the steps of the glow in the pub. We'll be sitting there in the garden and we'll be watching the game and it could be very excited as bees coming very early kick off. And like I said, I'm actually going to not drive this time. I'm actually going to jump on the tube and get down there, have a few beers. And I'm uh, looking forward to it. I'll be seeing you tomorrow, Laney. Everybody, if you haven't booked it, just book a pub, go down there, stay at home or do whatever you're going to do. Enjoy yourself, cheer the bees on and fingers crossed we can get a result tomorrow but it's going to be very exciting we say come on newbies. newbies come on you've got to do it 10th time lucky tenth you say time. yeah but you, you know you say that we're calm but it's time tomorrow Bill. you're going to be shitting yourself you be potty for it mate absolutely <laughs> potty for it Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.